An imitation can never pass the test of authenticity. I've been told that a wife's engagement ring is her most precious, prized piece of jewelry. Imagine with me the shock of a husband and a wife who years after the wedding took that wedding ring along with the other jewelry to get it appraised for insurance purposes, only to be told by that jeweler that what they thought was a diamond was nothing more than a cubic zirconium, a cheap imitation. The wife would be devastated. The husband would be irate because some joker sold him a fake. Why is this husband and wife so upset? Because they know that an imitation can never pass the test of authenticity. Think with me about a 10-year-old boy who desperately wants a Kevin Durant autograph. He saves all of his allowance. Literally, he breaks the bank. He gives the money to his father. Together, they go online and they find a autograph picture of Kevin Durant. They order it. It comes in the mail. It has a certificate of authenticity with it. As soon as a young boy gets the picture, he puts it in a frame, places it on his shelf. And then only a couple years later, he learns that that autograph is not authentic. It is a computerized rendition of the signature of that famous athlete. And that boy is devastated because even at a young age, he understands that an imitation never passes the test of authenticity. Consider with me a husband and a wife who have always wanted to have a Van Gogh painting. They found one that they were told was a collector's item. They purchased it. It was a handsome price. They took the portrait to their house. They placed it in that perfect spot on the wall in the family room. A few years later, they were taking some of their items to be appraised and the art dealer regrettably had to tell them that that was not an authentic. It was a a replicate. And they were furious. Of course, the merchant that sold them the portrait is now out of business and their only recourse was a lot of regret why is this husband and wife so upset because they know that an imitation never passes the test of authenticity what's true of a diamond and an autograph and a portrait is also true for you and me god has called us to be real He's called us to be authentic. And you and I understand that a imitation can never pass the test of authenticity. Yet this morning I wonder, do you ever feel like a fake? You ever feel like a spiritual phony? Maybe there are times when your behavior does not match your belief system. There are times when Uh, Your practice does not measure up to your proclaimed piety. 
Has there ever been a moment, ever been an occasion, ever been a season when you felt like a fake? This morning, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 1. I want to read in your hearing verses 10 to 20. And once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Isaiah chapter 1, let me begin at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, new moon, Sabbath, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash. Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God. May God be praised. You may be seated. When you and I come to the opening chapter of Isaiah... We discover that God is not pleased with his children. The reason God delivered his people, the reason God treasured his people, the reason God provided for his people was simply because of his love for his children. He says in verse 2 of the opening chapter, I have reared my children I have brought them up but they have rebelled against me there's not a parent listening to my voice this morning who does not know the pain of children in their defiant disobedience in a measure of sanctimonious smack talk God then continues he says that The ox knows its master. The donkey knows his owner's manger, but my people do not know. They do not understand. It is God that is 
giving a jab when he says, my people are dumber than an ox, more stubborn than donkeys. For even a dumb ox and a stubborn donkey know the hand that feeds them. But my people, they don't know. My people, they don't understand. They're living in a land they did not create. They are occupying houses they did not build. They are enjoying vineyards that they did not plant. They are drinking from cisterns that they did not dig. And yet they think that all the blessing of life is an entitlement to them. They don't even know the hand of the Lord that has provided all this. Friends, many years have passed, but not a whole lot has changed. Even today, God's people, we can look around and if we're not careful, we can be like a dumb ox and a stubborn donkey. We can act as if that all the blessings of the Lord are our own doing or an entitlement program that God levels to us. So God says in chapter one, you are a sinful nation. You are a people loaded with guilt. At the very beginning of the portion of scripture that I just read for you in verse 10, the Lord identifies his children as the rulers of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. Now that's a low blow. That's a sucker punch. God just called his people Sodom and Gomorrah. He just called his children the deviant citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. You realize that that twin city was destroyed by sulfur. The story is told in Genesis chapter 19. And the reason the city was destroyed was not because of a lack of hospitality. It was because of an abundance of homosexuality. That's why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is saying that his people are just as vile. His people are just as deplorable. His people, his children are are just as detestable as the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, don't get me wrong. The people of God didn't look rebellious. Oh, don't misunderstand me. They did not appear to be vile and detestable. No, our passage makes it abundantly clear that they came to church. They came to church even the Sunday after Easter. I mean, they were always in church. They, they came to church on a regular basis. In fact, they, they knew how to worship God. They went to numerous festivals and feasts. They attended every new moon festival, every weekly Sabbath, every convocation throughout the week. They went to church. And they knew how to act in church. They knew when it was time to stand up and when it was time to sit down, when it was time to lift up holy hands in prayer, when it was time to lift up shouts of acclamation. They even knew what animals to bring for specific sacrifices that had to be offered at the various points along the way. And God says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. These people were just going through the motions. These people were just being religious. They were just going to church. They were doing what they always have been taught and told to do. They just kind of went through the motions. And God said, who asked for this trampling of my courts? 
The trampling of the court, not only under the sandals of the people, but also the hooves of the animals. For the, for the, the, the house of God looked and sounded more like a stockyard and a barnyard than God's place. And God said, who asked this? I've had it up to here with all the sacrifices and the burnt offerings, all the fat of the, of the rams. And I, I've had it up to here with all of those sacrifices. God says in verse 15, you lift your hand in holy prayer and I turn my eyes from you. Could there be a more chilling verse in all the Bible? You lift your hands in prayer and yet God turns his back on you. You pray, God says you pray numerous prayers and the volume of those prayers do not get my attention. Now, why is God so distraught and devastated with his people? Because they were fake. Because they were not being real. They, they were not allowing their beliefs to match up with their behavior. How they lived throughout the week was in stark contrast to how they portrayed themselves in the worship hour. They were in imitation. And if anybody knows it is God, God knows that an imitation never passes the test of authenticity. What do you do with a fake? What do you do with something that you learn to be an imitation? What do you do with something that's phony? I'll tell you what you do. You throw it away. It has no value. It really has no use. So whatever you learn that's fake, you just get rid of it. It's no longer valuable to you. And God should have. God could have. And I guess that God would have thrown me away and thrown you away had it not been for his amazing love for us. So in verses 16 and 17, God gives nine imperatives. They're like a rapid fire succession that comes at us. It's a firing squad that Isaiah levels against the people. In verses 16 and 17, there are nine imperatives, nine commands. God is telling his people, stop doing some things and start doing other things. He's going to tell them to stop doing a few things and start doing even more than a few things. So verse 16, wash. You're so filthy. You're so dirty. Just wash. Make yourselves clean. That's imagery of taking off your, your dirty spiritual garments. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Can I simply summarize these non-imperatives with just two statements? God is telling his people, stop living like the culture and start looking like Christ. He's telling his people, stop looking like everybody else around you. Stop living like the culture. Instead, start looking and living like Christ. 
Care about the things that God cares about. So he tells his people, stop doing a few things. Start doing some other things. The reason God does that is because God is a brilliant counselor. Every psychologist worth his or her salt will tell you that if you're going to stop doing some behavior, you better replace it with the right behavior. Because if all you do is stop doing a few things and, 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 and you fail to start doing some other good things, then by stopping some bad things, you're just creating a vacuum. And nine times out of ten, if you don't replace it with something good and right, you will retreat and start doing the things that you vowed that you would never do again. So God, as a brilliant counselor, says, I want you to stop doing some things. I want you to start doing some other things. So in essence, what he's telling us is uh, take off some things and put on some things. So take off rebellion and put on righteousness. Take off sin and put on salvation. Take off bashfulness and put on boldness. Take off iniquity and put on innocence. Take off selfishness and put on service. Because while it's true that an imitation can never pass the test of authenticity, a recreation can glorify God for eternity. It's true that an imitation can never pass the test of authenticity, but a recreation can honor and glorify God for all of eternity. So then God gives a glorious invitation. Come, let's reason together, says the Lord. That statement means let's settle the matter once and for all. Come, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. If you accept this, the Lord says, if you're willing, if you're obedient, you're going to enjoy the great satisfaction of this life and the life to come. But if you resist, you'll be devoured by the sword. What the Lord is wanting from you and from me is for us just to admit our guilt before him. And where we admit our guilt before him, he applies his grace to us. We admit our guilt. Yes, we're vile. Yes, we're vicious. Yes, we have empty worship. Yes, there are times we go through the motions. Yes, the innocent blood of others is on our hands. Yes, we have not spoken up for the fatherless and the orphan. Yes, we have been silent far too long. Yes, we are guilty. And where we declare our guilt, God applies his grace. And God says that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Friend, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm so wretched and so are you. We, we don't need self-help. We need a savior. Amen. We don't need just a life coach. We need the living Christ. We don't need just a guru. We need the grace of the Lord God applied to our lives. Other than that, we have no shot of getting into heaven. Whenever I think about my guilt and his grace, I'm reminded of this table. 
In fact, when I come to this table, I am never more reminded of my guilt and his grace. It's because of my sin that Jesus was nailed to the cross. And Jesus was nailed to the cross to do away with my sin. So that my sin and your sin, past, present, and future, would be washed and clean, made white as snow. And Jesus took care of it to the point that he declared it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. They took his dead, lifeless body, placed it into a borrowed tomb. And you and I know that on the third day, Jesus got up. He got up out of that grave and gives life more eternal and more abundant. And Jesus did the impossible. Jesus burst forth from the tomb. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. Hey, you ever feel like a phony? You ever feel like a fake? Admit it to God. Declare your guilt before the Lord. And where you declare your guilt, he will apply his grace. Because an imitation can never pass a test of authenticity. But a recreation can glorify God for all of eternity. If you've been recreated by the blood of the Lamb, you're invited to this table. You come and cast all of your guilt upon the one who cascades grace upon you. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this moment when we gather around your table. And Lord Jesus, today we pray that you will sit beside us, that you will minister to us, that you will remind us of our sin, and that we will plead for the grace of Christ. And oh Lord, thank you that your grace abounds and it covers even a sinner like me. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.